so glad you guys are here today. Thank you so much for tuning in at home. Um, and what I want to do this morning as we conclude this series, Challenge Accepted, is I want to take just a few minutes of our time. I'm going to point us uh, to Mark chapter 8. So if you've got a copy of your text this morning, you can go there, Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at this text together uh, in just a minute. One verse uh, we're going to look at this morning, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And uh, hopefully if the preacher does what he's supposed to do this morning, he will do a short message because he's got a fairly uh, important presentation also to make today. So you guys hold me accountable to that this morning. So Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, I chipped a tooth. Uh, any of you who have had kind of, well, I have a friend of mine here that... <laughs> We were eating together, and he chipped a tooth as well. But uh, I chipped a tooth a couple of years ago, cracked in half, uh, had to go through extensive weeks of um, kind of almost reconstruction to get that fixed. And as painful, and if you've had any kind of major sort of dental thing uh, that you've walked through, uh, as painful as the moment I chipped the tooth was, the process of recovery, the pain that go, of going through that, that time, that trial of having my, uh, my, uh, my tooth reconstructed was incredibly painful. And I remember after, I think it was maybe my second or third trip uh, to the dental surgeon there, I remember looking at him you know, with the, the pig nose of gas mask on, you know, if you know, if you know that look, that image, if you've ever had that, you know, you got that pig nose that's got the, the gas in it. And uh, I remember looking up at him with the lights and he's got his mask on and he's got the drill in hand and he's getting ready to go in. And I remember asking him, does it have to be this way? And he, with his very coarse, rigid bedside manner, looked at me and said, yes, you know, and straight in. There was pain in the trial, and it had to be that way to get to the other side. And as we look at the story of God, at the center of that story, we see Jesus. And at the center of the story of Jesus, we see the cross. Immense pain, immense suffering, agony, and rejection. But when Jesus describes his imminent death here in Mark 8, he uses an interesting word. And, and just think about that for just a minute. J just when you go home today, or maybe you're going to go grab lunch, or, or you're, you're going to you know, order in some takeout, whatever it may be, do a little Grubhub this afternoon. When you do that, just begin to describe and reflect on your own death for just a minute. It puts things in perspective. And here in Mark 8, we see Jesus doing that. He is describing, he is reflecting, he is predicting his own death. And he uses, and uh, uh, Mark records a very interesting wording in this text of Scripture today. Mark 8, 31. This is Jesus describing, predicting his death. He says this. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and rise after three days. Did you catch the word? Look at the text. You catch the word? Then he began to teach them that it was necessary. He began to teach them that it was necessary to do what? For the Son of Man to suffer many things. It was necessary for the Son of Man to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. It was necessary for the Son of Man to be killed, and it was necessary for the Son of Man, thankfully, triumphantly, and gloriously, to rise after three days. It was necessary. The, the Greek word there for the word necessary is this idea, it's, it's, it's what you would think, must, should, have to, ought to, but what the, the, the idea that the Greek word that we miss in English gives us is this, is that it is an obligation in past time to a past event. Jesus, in the middle of his story here, is, is giving details about his death. But it's not the first time that this has happened. The prophets of old had predicted what would happen to Jesus. I just want to give you just a, a summary, just a quick flyover of just a handful of the passages of Scripture 
that predicted this necessary way of Jesus walking through death in this way. You can write these down and go read them later. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Psalm 22. Psalm 69. Psalm 118. Zechariah 11, 4 through 14, and then 12, 10 through 14. Let me say that again just so you write that down and get it. Zechariah 11, 4 through 14, 12, 10 through 14, and then Zechariah chapter 13, 7 through 9. And then we have maybe the most uh, well-known prophecy of Jesus and how he would be despised and rejected in Isaiah 53. And I just want to take a minute and I want to read through parts of this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him, and we were healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. It was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things. And so the question all week as I've been wrestling through this is just the simple idea of this, why? I mean, this is the maker, the creator, the sustainer, uh, the the, the life giver. Why was it necessary in this way for him to die? He He could have redeemed the world through a myriad of different ways. Why this way? Well, Dave Guzik, he describes it in his commentary with this idea. It was the way the world would be redeemed. The suffering and death of Jesus was a must because of two great facts, humanity's sin And God's love. While his death was the ultimate example against man's sin against God, don't miss this, it was the supreme expression of God's love to man. And this necessary way, briefly this morning, we're going to look at this necessary way that teaches us four remarkable aspects about Jesus and the gospel. As our, as our hearts and our minds, uh, many of us are walking through a season of Lent right now, and, and this will move us up to Good Friday, and are, we're beginning to think about Easter and, and Christ dying and rising again. It's important for us to look at that this morning. The, the first aspect of this, of, of, of Jesus dying in this necessary way, teaches us this. It teaches us that Jesus loves humanity. Jesus loves humanity. John 15, verse 9, Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. He gave his life for us. He willingly sacrificed his life for you and me. This necessary way of the death of Jesus teaches us that Jesus loves humanity. But it also teaches us this, that Jesus was obedient to the Father's plan. And we know this in, in Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden. He's, he's, he's distressed. He, he's, as a matter of fact, he has so much anxiety that one of the gospel writers describing him, describe him as, as this phenomenon of sweating drops of blood. He's carrying so much anxiety in his heart and his life. And he prays this prayer. He says, and we we're familiar with this, but, it, but it's powerful to think about what this teaches us about Jesus and this necessary way to die. Jesus prays this prayer in Matthew 26. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And you and I know the story of Jesus. We know that Jesus was was, uh, uh, illegally arrested and tried. That he was betrayed in the midst of that arrest. 
that he went to the cross, that he was stripped naked, that he was abused in that way, that he was violated in those ways. And yet he went to the grave and rose again. He was obedient to the Father's plan. And this one, to me, is so important for us as we think through this next aspect of what this necessary way teaches us. It's so important to us because one of the things I think we've all been more aware of over the last year is that we all carry pain and suffering in our life. We carry that differently. We carry that pain and those wounds and the scars maybe differently than our neighbor, our spouse, our kids. But we are all carrying pain we are all carrying wounds and we are all carrying scars. And, and this necessary way of Jesus helps Jesus identify with us in this way is that Jesus wasn't immune to pain and suffering either. He, he suffered. He was rejected. The, the Greek word, this is powerful. The Greek word for the word rejected, the definition of that is this, rendered useless. That's what people thought of Jesus, is that he was useless. They had an expectation of the coming Messiah, and Jesus did not meet that expectation. And they said, you're useless to us. So if you've ever walked through a season of life where maybe you feel useless to the world around you and the people around you, Jesus was rejected in a way that rendered him useless to the people that rejected him. Jesus is not immune, and this teaches us, this necessary way of the death of Jesus teaches us that he was not immune to pain and suffering. He was betrayed, and he was killed. And I pray that there's none of us that ever walks through pain and suffering in the way that Jesus did. But the fourth aspect of this necessary way of Jesus is this is that Jesus will be there in the pain and the trial for us because he has already been in the pain and trial. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he's, he's again, he's, he's trying to pour into his disciples and teach them as much as he can on this last night. And he says these words, I have told you these things that you might have peace. He's, he's told them what's gonna happen. He's told them uh, what's about to take place and he's telling them what will take place in the future. And he says, I'm telling you these things that in me, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Jesus guaranteed it 100%. Many of you have walked through immense suffering in recent days, weeks, months, and certainly over the last year. But Jesus said this, be courageous. Maybe your translation says, take heart. I have conquered the world. Jesus will be there for us through our pain and suffering. Why? Because Jesus has been there in the pain and the suffering. He has been there in the pain and the trial already. There's a, um, an old show that... Uh, Kelly and I, my wife, we've started uh, watching. We don't watch a lot of TV, but there's, a, there's an old show that we started watching a few weeks ago, and we love it. And um, there's a moment in one of the episodes where one of the main characters is going through a really, really tough time. And his boss is walked this path before. And he tells them this, um, this story and I want to tell you this story as we close the message out this morning. He says, a man was walking down the street, and he fell into a hole. It was a dark hole, and there was no ladder, and he looked up, and there was no way out. And a few minutes later, a, a doctor walked by. And the man in the hole yelled up to the doctor that was walking by and said, help, I'm in a hole, and I can't get out. And the doctor looked at him and wrote a prescription and threw the prescription down in the hole. A few minutes later, a priest walked by. And, and the, the, the man in the hole looked up at the priest and said, help, I'm in a hole and I can't get out. And the priest said, I'll pray for you, son, be blessed, and walked on. But then a few minutes later, another man walked by. And the man in the hole looked up 
at the man looking down in the hole and recognize that man as a friend. And the man in the hole looked at the, the man that was standing over the hole, looking down into the hole and said, help, I'm desperate. I have no way out. Can you help me? And the man that looked down into the hole did something remarkable. He stepped off the side and jumped into the hole with the man. And the man in the hole looked back at the man that just jumped down in the hole, his friend, and said, what are you doing? Now we're both in the hole. How are we going to get out? And he says, it's okay, friend. I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. And one of the necessary aspects, one of the, the aspects of this necessary way of the death of Jesus, what we learn from this is that Jesus has been there in the pain and the trial, the suffering, the rejection, the feeling rendered useless. And yet he led us out. Now we know the grand picture of that, the grand narrative of that is certainly the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ arose again, and that he made things right with us and God as a result of that. But the humanity of this text, we can't escape. That Jesus was rejected. That Jesus was hit. He was stripped. He was betrayed. And one of the beautiful aspects of the story of Jesus is that Jesus looks at us while we're in our hole of pain, of trial, of suffering, of hurt, of longing, of wishing the world was different and a better place. And Jesus has gotten into that hole with us. Why? Because Jesus has been there before. And Jesus found a way out. It was this grand plan of God for all of humanity, for all time. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for your grace on our lives. Thank you for the way that you've loved us so much. Thank you for the way that you've carried us. Thank you that in our moments of suffering, of pain, of hurt, of rejection, we can look to Jesus, the one who was, he experienced immense pain, suffering, and rejection. And he's gone ahead of us. I pray that for anybody here today who's carrying uncertainty in their life, they're carrying insecurity, they're, they're carrying uh, um, anxiety and fear about the future. They're walking through their dark trial. They're walking through their dark season right now. I pray that in only the way that you can do that you would convince them of this truth, that you have been in that place, you have been in that hole, and that you know the way out. And that you are like a good shepherd who leads those to safety, leads those to, as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, to green pastures. And so we trust you with that. No matter what season and situation we're walking through, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And that reality of the gospel of Jesus and hearts being made new, lives being restored, is, it's, it's why we're here today, each one of us. It is a miracle. You are a working, walking miracle of God. That if you've given your life to Jesus and, and trusted him as your savior, you, where you are right now, watching at home, sitting in your car, sitting here in this room today, you are a walking, working miracle of Jesus. And the truth is, is that there are people that we live next to, we work next to, we, we play next to, 
who have never experienced that amazing truth of Jesus. And that is also partly why the church exists, is to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, a very dysfunctional, um, eclectic group of people. He, he wrote to this church at Ephesus just as a reminder of the power of our God. And he wrote these words in Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, young and old, forever and ever. Amen. And as a church, we have certainly seen the Lord do far greater and far more abundant things than we ever ask thought or imagined. Over the last year, the Lord has, just over the last year, the Lord has sustained us through this pandemic. The Lord over the last year has allowed us to continue to care for one another in a very weird season of life. The Lord has allowed us, given us the, the privilege as this church, as Grace Hill Church, to care for our community and our neighbors around us. And he has done far more exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And because of that, I believe that where we are today is that we as a church body have the potential to be more focused than ever before on the mission that God has called us to, and that is helping people find and follow Jesus introducing them to this story of God. This story that says that someone died in your place. Whether or not you even knew that that was necessary, someone died in your place. And now you're invited into that story to be part of that work of God in your heart and your life. And I'm thankful as Paul reminded us in this passage in Ephesians, that yeah, God does supernatural things in ways we can't explain and, and causes you know, things to happen around us that they're mysteries, but God also, more often than not, chooses to work through people, normal, everyday, common people, just like you and just like me. God has worked through you and he will continue to work through us as a church family to help people find and follow Jesus in our neighborhood, in our community, in our homes, and in, in, in the, the workplaces around us, God will continue to work through you to help people do that. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take just a few minutes of our time, the last few minutes we have together this morning, and I wanna walk us through the second phase of our capital campaign that we've been in. And you know, it's funny to think about that because this thing was supposed to kick off again in September, and. The, the elder group, we just met and we said, you know, it, right now there's so much uncertainty. Let's just wait. And there's so much pain in waiting. But many times we come through the season of Advent every year where we're reminded about waiting on God. So many times when we wait, God uses that season of waiting to clarify. And so I'm thankful for what the Lord has taught us over the last year as we have waited to see where this will all go. I'm thankful for a couple of reasons. One is this, is that I'm thankful because the waiting has led us to this place and now uh, we are celebrating building on the efforts of our church's generosity to see our church impact our neighborhood and community with the gospel. This is vital work and effort of the church to reach our community, to reach our neighborhood, to be strategic about what that looks like. And I've said it before, over the last several months, we never closed, we just pivoted, and we will keep pivoting as the Lord leads us. Secondly, through the last year, the Lord has helped shape our hearts towards things that really do matter. Have you noticed that in your own life, how it, at least in our family, it feels like there's kind of been this peeling of an onion 
And the layers have just kind of gotten peeled off over the last few months to where things that really matter are being revealed in our family. And I believe the same is true in our church family. The things that really matter, that are really important, the way we do life with one another, the way we care for one another, the way we serve one another, the way we disciple and equip one another, and the way we focus and posture ourselves to our community and say, hey, we love you with the message and the hope of Jesus. It really matters. And the Lord has, 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 has brought us more and more to this place. But then the last one is this. I really do believe this that the work ahead of us as a church will be more challenging than it has ever been in the past. And that's not doom and gloom. I am more hopeful for the future of the church than ever before, but the work of the church will be harder. It's kind of like the difference between when I you know, was 26 years old and I decided I wanted to lose a few pounds and it just sort of fell off because I was 26. And I could go eat a cheeseburger on Friday night, and the next morning wake up and the scales would be three pounds less. And now I look at food and gain weight, you know, because I'm 40. It, it's just, it's different. And the work ahead of us as a church, as a community of faith, I believe, because of where our world is, it will just be more difficult. It will be more challenging. You and I have never been part of a church Caring, loving, and serving one another in our community in the midst of and prayerfully in the future of a post-COVID world. People that we know are discouraged. People we know have lost loved ones. People we know in our community have absolutely given up hope. And people in our community that we know are looking around and wondering and asking this question, where is God? And this is our responsibility as a church family. We have a responsibility to look into the hurting, broken faces of the community and the world around us, to look into the hurting, broken faces of neighbors, of family, of friends that are struggling to find hope in the midst of this life and to say, let me tell you about a man that jumped into a hole with me. You see, this is why I'm excited about the future of the church, this heavy, heavy work of the future of the church. Because I don't believe, at least in my lifetime, I'm not for sure about yours, but in my lifetime, I don't know that I've ever seen collectively people wondering where hope is more than ever than right now. So the Lord has called us to something. He's led us up to this point. And really, this morning, the, the, the details of the next phase of the campaign, that while they are important, and the projects that we believe the Lord has led us to this point are important, the real challenge this morning is this, is the so what. It's the what are you going to do about it? Will you be willing to step up and be part of this call, to be part of this mission, to, to take steps to bring hope and healing and, 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 and mend broken hearts in our world and in our community? My hope for you, my prayer for you, is that it is a resounding yes. So briefly this morning, I want to take and I want to work you, walk you through kind of where we've been and where we're headed. And I want to encourage you, you can go to gracehill901.com slash for the future, see a lot more detail there, get all kind of the next steps. Don't get ahead of me. So kind of like the teacher who gives you the thing and says, don't turn it over until I say go. Don't turn it over until I say go this morning. This is an important moment for our church. It's a defining moment for us in our church. The first area that we want to look at as it re relates to this capital campaign is our facilities. And I've said this before and I'll continue to say it again, is that our building is simply a tool to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what this place is. It is a tool. It is a ministry tool to help people find and follow Jesus. And it takes different formats. It, it expresses itself differently. Over the last year, uh, it's been converted into a video studio to record and broadcast our services for our live stream. For a number of weeks and months, um, it, it served as a, an essential care facility for an emergency care facility for essential workers with the YMCA. Yeah, right on, right on, absolutely, thank you. Somebody's excited about this this morning. 
Then after that, it served for several weeks as a virtual learning center in partnership with Shelby County Schools. And then over the last seven months, it has been used again together, the people of God to worship, pray, fellowship, grow in their faith, and be sent out into this hurting, broken world. This is a, this is a ministry tool for us as a church. And some of what your generosity went to uh, over the last couple of years with this campaign was so necessary. It was incredibly necessary. Things like we enhanced our campus safety so that as you and our neighbors come onto our campus, uh, things like you know, the, the lighting on the exterior of the facility with you know, the portico and other places, was, it was safer. Uh, we, we were able to, because of your generosity, do a lot of uh, ground landscaping that was able to cut back a lot of the trees. And Steve Strong reminded me this last week, man, if, if, if your generosity had not gone to help do some of these things, our parking lot, because of the storm, would have been a nightmare of cleanup. But we were able to do that, keep our facility safe, keep it looking good, keep it presentable, so that as people come on site, they go, wow, they care about their home. As you've noticed, anybody here uh, who is driven by at night, um, we've, got a, uh, 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 we've got like runway lights on the side of our building with our sign that your generosity went to get a sign so people just know who we are and where we are. We've been able to paint the interior of the building and upgrade our HVAC unit in the auditorium all because of your generosity, all again in various ways to invite people into this space and say, hey, you are loved, you are cared for, Welcome home. So in this phase of the campaign, in the next phase, we're going to continue to invest in this ministry tool, in this opportunity that we have. And so what we envision in total is an $80,000 campaign total spread out over the next year. And 25% of that, so $20,000, we want to raise in capital to, to be able to use for various needs that that can come up over the next year. And a few of those needs that we know that we're, we're very well aware of and we're watching are things like parking lot repair. Our parking lot is 15, 16 years old. And it's gonna need some attention. Again, to try to help keep it safe and presentable. So as people come onto our campus, it is safe and it is presentable to them. Uh, things we know, HVAC systems have life cycles. So we're gonna have to have capital ready uh, aside for those purposes as things happen on our facility, on our campus. But one of the specific needs that is important as we look at, 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 at the next phase of this campaign is creating spaces for people to gather for fellowship and spiritual growth. Now, there's already been a start to this a little bit uh, over the last few weeks with our office space. We've actually got a picture of part of the transformation uh, that's happened in that space. And here's what I want you to envision for just a moment. I want you to envision something similar to that in various different places around our campus, in our north lobby, in our south lobby, maybe even in some of the different rooms around the campus. Why? For fellowship, for community building, and for spiritual growth. Opportunities, creating spaces so people can be discipled and equipped to live out their faith. And we're doing that as a ministry with the ministry tool that God has given us. What would happen over the next year if we were able to create these spaces and invite people to come and together to study their Bible, to pray for one another, to share life with one another? What could take place in the hearts and lives of people? As people who are already hurting, they don't know where their hope's coming from, they don't, they've, they've maybe lost family uh, relationships and members, and we're able to gather people in these spaces and point their hearts towards Jesus. We've been talking about church health the last few weeks. We have three teams that have formed to address these needs in our church, and they're going to begin to gather over the next uh, couple of months. People eagerly desiring for their church to be a healthy, as healthy of a version of itself as it can be. One of those uh, teams will be tackling the question, how do we help people follow Jesus? And you and I both know that spaces matter. Creating environments where connection, community, and spiritual growth for adults can take place is vital for our church's mission. So we envision creating these spaces all over our campus for community, for spiritual growth, for hearts to connect with one another, for prayer, for care to take place. 
But another place that uh, this was a part of our campaign the last time as well is, is we want to continue to invest into this space and the auditorium technology. We know this, you know this, all technology has a life cycle. You may or may not have the same, you know, microwave you used 30 years ago when you first bought your house. It probably faded out and you had to go buy a new one. All technology has a life cycle. And we want to continue to ensure that the technology that we have at Grace Hill Church does not hinder the communication of the message of Jesus and the worship of Jesus when we gather and live stream. Some of what your generosity was able to accomplish over this first phase of the campaign is that we were able to upgrade many of the components, the necessary, and I won't bore you with all the details, but we were able to upgrade so much of the necessary components to keep our services when we gather together running smoothly. As you guys can see here in the room, we were able to unexpectedly be able to purchase a brand new speaker system that actually wasn't going to be until phase three of the capital campaign, but the Lord opened up that opportunity for us because of your generosity. And then maybe the most important aspect of this over phase one is your generosity allowed us to, after those first couple of weeks of when we were live streaming, just trying to duct tape and zip tie it together and just get through those first couple of Sundays, once we knew we were going to be in this thing for a long time, we were able to make the significant investment to keep our church family connected via live stream over the last year. And that's all been because of your generosity of investing in this campaign. So the money raised in phase two would just continue to go towards that. It would continue to go towards enhancing and, and, and bringing up to, to kind of modern standards where we are today in today's world with the technology. Um, in the coming months, we want to see the full return of our worship team. We miss all the worship team so much, and we want to see the full return of them. And there's a lot of needs that are going to come as a result of that, both a, a myriad of tech and stage needs, um, musical instruments, all of that is going to be necessary as we bring that worship team back. And I want to say to you this, is that the live stream is here to stay. We want to continue to make sure that this connects with people on the other side of the camera that we may not see and we may not even know, but we're reaching people. You know, Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, where there was so much sort of confusion about the church and, and they had to just kind of summon everybody. It was the church's kind of first business meeting. They got, they got the right people in the room and they said, okay, how do we reconcile these two groups of people? And one of the powerful statements that came out of that, you can read it in Acts 15, is James, the half-brother of Jesus, stood up and said, let's not make it difficult for anybody returning to the Lord. That was the heart of the early church. And so if we have people, here's, here's, a, here's a thought to ponder over for the rest of the day. Every single person that we want to reach as a church has one of these more than likely in their home. And so the closest bridge for us as a, as a family of faith to reaching the world and community around us is through our live stream. So we want to continue to invest in that, to make sure that not only the people that are outside our church walls are hearing the message and the hope of Jesus, but also inside our church walls. We have a family in our church that shared with me this last week how much over the last year this live stream every week has meant to them. They've been unable to attend for a myriad of health and personal reasons. It was just, honestly, it was too big of a risk. And they told me on the phone, they said, we literally do not know what we would have done to be able to stay connected to this church had it not been for the live stream. And it's because of your generosity, continued generosity, makes stories like that possible. So we wanna invest $20,000 over this next phase into, into this area. The third phase of this campaign, um, and we're calling it this time, we're changing the name a little bit of it, but we're, we're calling it community outreach is what we're calling it. In the first phase, 10% of everything that we gave, it was a, uh, an $82,500 campaign, so roughly $8,250 we designated to go towards a community outreach, serving, caring, ministering to the needs of those around us. This time, and, and through that, uh, your generosity over the last phase was able to help families who were struggling financially. We were able to care in some wildly impactful ways for teachers and administrators and students both at Germantown Elementary School and Cairoville High School in a variety of ways. We were able over this last phase of this campaign because of your generosity to care for families and meet needs in families of people we may never see walk through these doors, 
But because of the way you touch their life, they know the love of Jesus in large part because of your faithful generosity. So in phase two, the, the heart behind this is, okay, God, you did a lot in phase one with 10%. God, what might you do through our church's generosity if we increase that to 25%? And we said, we wanna position this campaign squarely at our community and say, how do we reach people? How do we love people? How do we serve people with the message and the hope of Jesus Christ? So we wanna dedicate 25% and, and if we meet our goal, hopefully $20,000, at least $20,000 over the next year back into our community to physically demonstrate the love of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. If you read the first few chapters of the books of, book of Acts, there was a radical call to meet the physical needs of the community. Acts 34 uh, says this, that, that it says that even because their commitment to this generosity and need meeting, there were no needy people among them. This is a vital expression of the local church. This money would go to, 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 to help um, ministry opportunities in our community, ministry partnerships, reaching new people in the community with the gospel. A few of those specific uh, ways, and you can read more about this online, is continue our commitment and partnership with Germantown Elementary and Carnival High School. And a couple of needs that have specifically risen from that is this, is that uh, how many of you guys were on a boil advisory over the last little bit because of the storm? Handful of you. We were at my house. Jessica made us, our Compassion Ministry Director, she made us aware of this need a few weeks ago and it just, it's kept me up at night. Um, as Shelby County Schools returned there at Germantown Elementary School, there's a, a real need for clean drinking water. Uh, because of CDC uh, recommendations, you can't use the water fountains. Many of these kids who are already, uh, um, they have challenges, let's just put it that way, in their day-to-day -day life. So the water fountains become a key part of their school experience to get clean access to clean drinking water and regular drinking water. And so the need became the, the, the refillable water stations that all my kids have at their school that I didn't even think about, that we just got an email one day and said, hey, by the way, we've converted all the water fountains into these refillable water stations for your kids that are touchless, sanitary, they don't even have to think about it. Teachers and administrators at Germantown Elementary School are going to go, are saying, how do we get our kids clean drinking water? And we say, well, there shouldn't be any needy people among us. And so we're kind of working with them and working with vendors. And, and what we want to do is we want to designate somewhere between, we think probably it's going to cost somewhere between about three to maybe $5,000 to come in and say, hey, you don't have to worry about a basic necessity anymore, guys. We've got this taken care of. We want to provide you with these. We want to install these for you and take care of this. Why? So you can get on with what you're supposed to be doing and teaching and loving and serving these kids and their families. Another thing that we really have a heart for in this campaign is, is designating money to go towards ministry, creating a network of ministry partners beyond our church. There are so many needs in our community and in our city, our, our, our county, and we're evaluating several potential ministry partners that we actually wanna partner with them financially to further advance their mission and their call that they have to make an impact and a difference into their ministry and the people and families that they serve. So 25% of the next round of this campaign would go to that. And lastly, the, 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 the place we're adding this campaign is our next-gen ministry. The next generation is vital to the church because the next generation is the future of the church. The psalmist knew this. The psalmist in Psalm 78 said this, we will not hide them, uh, we will not hide them from their children, talking about the truths and the instructions of God's word. We will tell a future generation the praiseworthy deeds, uh, praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and wondrous works. He has performed. He has established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach uh, to their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. The next generation matters to the future of the church because the next generation is the future of the church.
So because of this, we want to take some proactive steps in investing in specific ways in families uh, here at Grace Hill and in our next-gen ministry. So a few of these, and I, and, and I want to walk you through some specifics just so you can know uh, how committed we are to this. One of those places is we want to make significant investment into uh, some spaces as well for our next-gen ministry. So we want to designate roughly about $7,500 to go to invest in our student space that also gets shared when elementary ministry will be back full online in a few weeks and months. Uh, that space gets used by our elementary ministry on, on Sunday mornings as well. We want to invest money into that space to enhance that space, to create a compelling environment for students to gather, to meet, to fellowship with one another, and to hear the word of, uh, of the Lord. We want to start phase one of investing into this room. We affectionately just term it the parlor over here in this back corner, but it is a space that gets used by students. It's a space that gets used by elementary and adults, and we want to invest in that space to create a space there where adults can gather, families can gather, moms and dads can gather, can be trained and equipped, but also our kids could begin to use it on Sunday morning. Because here's what I believe. I believe that families in our community are going to be looking for a place of community and hope. And we want to be ready for them. This is an area that is incredibly important to me. It's incredibly important to our elders as we talked through and we looked at where families, where marriages, uh, where kids are, we're hearing reports and studies uh, about the effects of a pandemic. And again, Acts 4.34 said there were no needy people among them. And so we look at the needs of our church family and we say, what are those needs? And one of those needs is this. We know that people are struggling in the area of mental health. We know they are. I've experienced it over the last year. You've probably experienced it over the last year. And there are many people in our church that have insurance that can take care of mental health needs. They can go see a therapist. They can go see and get help that they need to kind of work through the challenges that they're in. But there are many people in our church who do not have access to those, those opportunities. And we believe that strong churches have strong families. And strong families have strong marriages. And so we want to make uh, it accessible for families in our church to get the mental health uh, help that they need. And so we're designating $5,000 from this campaign that's raised to go to help offset the cost for families who say, hey, I need to take some steps. We need to take some steps as a family. Our marriage needs to take some steps and get professional help to help us work through some of the challenges that we're in. And then lastly, we, we know that there's going to be some needs that arise over the coming months that is next-gen ministry. Students begin to meet more uh, uh, and open their doors up more on Wednesdays and kids' ministry on Sunday morning. We just know there's going to be some needs that come up. And we want to be able to have the, 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 the money there to be able to respond to those needs that come up in the future. Here's what's amazing is since the, the first phase of the campaign officially ended in September of 2020, people have continued to give generously towards phase two of the campaign. So we've got an $80,000 goal that we're looking at here. And to date, this is amazing, $17,431 has already been given towards that phase of the campaign, which is awesome, by the way. That's worth, to, you know, you can clap a little bit for that. That's exciting. That leaves us $62,569 to raise. And I want to show you how possible this is for us as a church. If 60 people committed to give monthly, and they committed to give $86 per month, we would reach our goal for the campaign. You want to know how easy that is to, to get to? A family of four, it costs them about $30 per time to go eat at Chick-fil-A. My family of six, it costs us like $52 but a family of four, it'll cost you over $30 to go eat at Chick-fil-A. So to invest in our community, to invest in making a lasting impact in the next generation, to create spaces for people to gather, to hear the, the, the good news of hope and community and life and share those experiences together. I'm just asking you to give up not eating Chick-fil-A three to four times a month. It's that Simple. And I love Chick-fil-A. It's God's chicken. It's what we're going to eat in heaven. 
but I'm asking you to make that commitment and that sacrifice. And I just want to say this. Right now, it's tax return season. It's annual bonus season. Many of you have been blessed. While many have struggled, many have been blessed over the last few months in the area of their finances. And I'm asking you to prioritize. Many of us, most of us could do the $86 a month, but many of us could give significantly more. And I'm asking you to prioritize how you will spend those dollars and orient a portion of those dollars to go towards committing to reaching the goal of this campaign. So what I want you to do is I want you to take the next week, I want you to look at your budget. You may already have something that already come into your mind already, a particular project even that you're like, man, I, 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 want, I want to see that happen. I want, to take, I want you to take the next week, pray about it, talk about it, ask questions about it. And then next Sunday, we're going to have Commitment Sunday next week and the following week. We'll, we'll, we'll make commitments just so we can kind of help the finance team, the elders and the staff know how to plan and how to celebrate here at Grace Hill. And then we'll officially begin phase two of the campaign on March 15th. And you may already be in a place now where you know, hey, I'm, I'm ready to give. Sign me up. You can go online. You can find all the information there, gracehill901.com slash give. Or if you want to write a check, you just put for the future in the note memo there, and, and we'll get all that taken care of. God calls us to do things in faith, in times that it doesn't make sense many times. But the hope that we have is this. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it doesn't make any sense to do a capital campaign in the midst of a global pandemic. But that is exactly the kind of thing that you would ask your church to do. Because we have to trust you, we have to rely on you, we have to take bold steps of faith for you. We have to depend on you for that. And so I pray that you would just even now stir hearts, move in our lives, orient our lives to what you would have for us. We commit this campaign to you. And we trust you with the outcome. We just wanna be obedient. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.